This morning's text is Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. So good morning again. If I uh, haven't met you yet, my name is Pastor Andrew, and it's really good to be with y'all today. Um, So we are at the end of our series called Thanksgiving, and we're looking at two different aspects of that word, the vertical aspect where we get gifts from God and we give thanks back to Him, and then giving where we share those gifts with the world around us, with our neighbors. And uh, we've we've been through um, giving thanks for relationships for wealth, for health, and we're kind of culminating the series with thanksgiving for Jesus. And you may think, well, like, duh, that's the most important thing to give thanks for. He's kind of the, the, biggest, the biggest part of our lives. And, and that's a temptation. We, we see the gifts of God kind of as furnishings around our life where we can say, you know, I, I love this and I love this and I love this, and we kind of show these things to different people, we share these things with different people, and Jesus becomes one of of many things that we give thanks for. And I want to pose to you this morning that this is a survival salvation. This is a survival salvation, where uh, a survival salvation looks like this. I don't really sense God. It's been a while, so what do I need to get back to this feeling? We chase the butterflies. We chase, you know, the, the good feelings. We, 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 we chase feeling fulfilled. Um, or a survival salvation would say, well, you know, I, I'm in trouble, so I'll pray. Or I have a habit of worship, or I haven't been to worship, so I need to do this. Or, or you know, I, I don't really like these people, but I'll get around them because this is what Christians do, right? So we have a forced community. Um, In this kind of mentality, Jesus is an aspect of my life, one aspect among many that I can thank God for and share with the world. And unfortunately, like this is kind of a misnomer. There's not really such thing as a 
survival salvation. There's not like a low bar, bare minimum, what do I have to do to get in kind of salvation. That's not a, that's not a thing. Okay, so uh, it, it, it really isn't that effective because the way God established our relationship with Jesus is that he would not be a bare minimum. We don't just survive with Jesus. We thrive with Jesus. Okay, so today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how Jesus is more than just one aspect of our life. He is life itself. So the, the reading that we had today, if you didn't gather, is a little thick with meaning, with significance, um, with depth. So if you would allow me just to kind of turn the fire hose on, give you a lot of information, and we'll come back and kind of break this down a little bit. So the book of Romans that Melissa read out of, um, this was written to a church of Jew and Gentile Christians trying to figure out how to have community together because there was so much difference between them. They're trying to find common ground um, in spite of cultural differences, ethnic differences, status differences, all of these different things that would fight against community. They're trying to find common ground. And Paul is writing to them about faith. Faith being this entrance into salvation. Faith being what joins us together. So to the Jews, Paul says, listen, God is not, uh, you are not God's family because you're related to Abraham. Okay, it's not a biological family of God. Okay, that's not why you belong here. It's faith. And to the Gentiles, Paul is saying, listen, you are not, in this group because you did something great or because God stopped loving the Jews and he decided to go with you now. He, you're not here because of anything you did or they didn't do. Faith has been extended to you as a gift, as an act of, of grace. This, um, this relationship with God, this access to God is, has been gifted to you. So in other words, if I could kind of summarize it a little bit, he's saying, Jesus is your common ground. Whatever else you have different between you, Christ is your common ground. He is your heritage. You, this is not something new. This is from the beginning of the world. You're entering into a heritage. You're entering into a bloodline, not Abraham's bloodline, not a Jewish bloodline, but his bloodline, Christ's blood that was shed for you. He is your relationship with God and the world. In other words, he is your vertical and your horizontal thing that we've been talking about. He is that whole dynamic. He is life itself. So it's not about who you are. It's not about what you did, right? Wherever you're from, whatever you have done, you belong here because of who he is, because of what he did. So Romans 5, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay. Just right there, 
in that brief little section, let's, let's count the gifts that Paul is talking about, right? He talks faith. He talks justification. He talks peace and access into God's presence. He talks about grace and joy and hope, all right? So all of these things, every single word that I just mentioned is a wealth of doctrine and knowledge and scripture. It is rich and packed with meaning, not just, uh, not just abstract meaning or symbolic meaning. It's packed with stories and people and history, all these things that God has been doing from the beginning of the world. Everything in these two couple of sentences is so rich. We can't miss that. But for the sake of where we're going today, we will gloss a little bit. I want you to go back. I want you to explore this and get into this. Um, but Paul is talking about an eternal blessing over an earthly blessing. You notice none of these things that he mentioned were family and friends or, or a house or car or money or anything like that. He's, he's moving into these eternal blessings from God. And you think about these staggering implications that we could actually be in God's presence at any time, talking to him about anything. That in itself is incredible. But the fact that he would go above and beyond that and not just give us access to himself, but give us his presence. He talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. That's ridiculous that that would be to us and for us. So this highlight of Romans throughout the entire book, the strand that, that, that Paul brings and keeps it, that Paul brings in and keeps it all together is the fact that all of these great things that God gives us, he doesn't give because of anything we've done. It's through grace. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And still he gives himself away. He gives all of these things to us in spite of us. See, we, we are not enough to carry these things to the world. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We don't know how. All of these blessings of God that he says, all right, now take, carry. You are the church. You're the family of God. Go give it away. We can't do that. We're not sufficient. We're inadequate. The, the nature of grace is that we be vessels for the power of the Holy Spirit, that we be vessels of Christ, that he would get full props for everything that he does in us and through us to the world. Okay, so we can be hurt, we can be downtrodden, we can be suffering, and God still works. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice, that's joy, suffering, okay? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is only one disruption between God and us, between God and his world, there is only one thing that could ever sever that relationship, and that is sin, okay? What happened in Genesis 3, you've heard the story, 
of Adam and Eve and a snake and bringing condemnation and sin and brokenness into this world, sin is the only thing that could sever that perfect relationship with God. And what we heard last week is that Christ is over everything, even that. So sin can, other people's sin can cause us to suffer. Our sin can cause us to turn away from God. And this is saying that Jesus is over even that suffering, even over our turning away from God, that his grace calls us back, that we are forever loved, that the love of God has been poured into our hearts, that suffering has even been overcome. Last week, we heard that uh, when we talked about health, that we don't have to look at this life of suffering and death and say, what's the point? Right? When, somebody, when bad things happen to good people or when a, a strong Christian um, dies and we think, well, what was, what was he working for? What was she working for if, if death just overcomes us or if, if they're going to suffer for it? What, what's the point? We don't have to ask that question because Christ rose from the dead. He vindicated suffering. He vindicated death. And he said, even that, the strongest aspect of this life, which could do away with God's people, the only thing, that could do away with God's people, has been defeated. So that even suffering and even death declare the glories of him who overcame it. Now we have this little tendency to minimize Jesus, to minimize God, where we make him like furnishing in our life. Like, look what God has done for me here. And look what he's given me here. And look at this and look at that. And look at all, all these blessings. And oh yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus. And I have a church. Where he's just an aspect of our lives. We, we minimize him subtly and easily. And if we do that, it's very easy also to minimize our sin. This is just an obstacle in my life. This is just a bad habit that I do. No, it's death. Okay, can, can we not minimize it? Can we not say it's just this, it's just that, or I'll, I'll get better with time, or I'll, I'll do this when this happens. I'll overcome it if God does this. Can, can we stop minimizing it or placing these, um, stop placing these hedges around it? It's death. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. There's nothing just or only or if about it. This, this is an epidemic. Worse, we're not always conscious of it. We're not always conscious. We don't even realize we're doing it and we can't get enough of it. Okay, let me show you something um, real quick. She belongs to a friend of mine, okay? She does this twice a day, every day. See that grass back there? That's a sermon in and of itself. You know, there's, there's greener grass on the other side. But what I wanna bring up is twice a day, they have to get her head out of there. Do you know how they do that? They can't go around this side and push her back in. Do you know why? Because she'll push back. If they're in front of her pushing her back, she'll, put, she'll keep pushing her head through the fence against them. They have to go in behind her and drag her out. 
Here's why I bring this up. We do this when we, when we keep making the same mistakes, we keep producing bad results, and we lament our situation. We say, wow, I'm stuck. I'm in this hard spot. God, get me out. He's given us all these ways to do that. He's given us his word. He's given us his body of believers. He's given us Jesus Christ himself. And we say, God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. He's helping, and we're pushing back. We're stuck in this situation, pushing back against him because we don't recognize the help that he's given us. So all that to say, don't confuse suffering with the natural consequences of poor decisions. Don't confuse suffering with the natural consequences of ungodliness. Peter brings this up, 1 Peter 2. He says, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I have no idea how many times I've heard the next generation is just falling away. They're, they're leaving in the church in droves and droves. And, and how can they be losing their faith like this? There must be some major spiritual warfare and demonic presence going on that's drawing an entire generation away from the church. And yeah, you know, I, I, I do acknowledge that that probably is a factor. There probably is some spiritual warfare going on. But there is perhaps a bigger factor and one that is directly influenceable by us that we can actually impact. How about the factor of decades and decades of institutional, cultural, and materialistic Christianity? Decades where being a good follower of Jesus meant being a good citizen, a good American. I saw far too many times to count. Someone has a question. How, what does the Bible mean when it says this? How can God do this? And they have a legitimate question about Scripture. But instead of, of challenging, uh, instead of the church challenging itself and, and saying, you know, I don't know. Let me find out. Let's discover that together. We say, wow, that would be a lot of work. It's a lot easier to just say, don't question it or you're sinning if you do, or doubt is messed up, or how dare you even bring this topic up, that shouldn't be discussed in public, whatever the case may be. So we just squelch and put down and put down and put down, or even call it disobedient to ask these questions, to doubt, to wonder. So what happens? You have the church becoming less and less and less effective in individual lives. So what's the point of coming to worship on Sunday if everything else about the church is totally irrelevant? So we have Sunday declining and declining. Meanwhile, the emphasis on Sunday is increasing. Forget about meeting during the week. Forget about upholding one another in community. We're going to place a huge amount of weight on this one hour a week. Nothing in your life has to match up to that. But for an hour a week, we want you here, right? So worship is becoming less and less relevant. 
And to combat that, we say, all right, how do we get people here? Not how do we serve them? How do we uphold them? How do we support them? How do we get people to the place? I know we'll make a huge deal out of programs and we'll get bands that have record labels, or that have, have record deals and we'll do light shows and we'll, we'll, we'll make this massive production. We'll put coffee shops in there and bookstores. We'll, we'll make it about the experience and we'll make people feel God by lowering the lights and doing emotional backdrops and we pander to our preferences. There's a reason it's called church shopping. Okay, that's not a, a, a great, that's not a good thing. Okay, there is something to be said for finding a place to belong. And guess, please, don't mishear me, okay? There is something to be said for finding a place to belong, okay? And finding truth and, and, and finding a family of believers that surrounds you. But don't let it be about, does this match me? Is this style for me. No, it's not. It's for God. It should be. Okay? So I, I, I encourage you maybe to twist the frame and, and not just our guests, everyone, right? Because we do the same thing, even those that come here week after week. Well, that song wasn't the best or, you know, that sermon wasn't on point. I'll own that, right? So I'll, we do the same things about our preferences all the time, whether you're here every week or not. Instead, let, let's, let's make it about what the church actually is. It's not an hour a week. Church is not an hour a week. It's a family of believers. Am I being welcomed here? Am I, are they passionate about God's word? Will they hold me to God's word? Can, will they welcome me to hold them to God's word? Right? Am I being included and surrounded and loved and supported? Are we engaging God together? Or are we putting on a show? What, what is it that's happening here? This, this idea of the natural consequences of ungodliness and losing losing this meaning of what church is versus worship is versus community. You know, instead of teaching generations to pray in their homes and, and families and parents challenging themselves and challenging their kids with this. Now, I'm challenged. We don't do it every night. It's hard. It's really hard to get your kids together and teach them this stuff and pray with them, especially when you're fighting bedtime and everything else. But instead of, of engaging in that struggle, we, you know, we lament and we complain, well, they took prayer out of the schools. It's not the school's job. The school is a, is a government entity. This is a societal force, not the church. It's not the school's job to teach us to pray. It's not the school's job to make time in their day to pray. That's our job. But we say, you know, we're suffering. We're suffering. We're pushing harder into that fence, just bleeding. Bleating, not bleeding. Well, maybe both. I don't know. You know, bleating. Like, I'm suffering. I am pushed down. I'm being downtrodden. This is everyone else's fault. Save me, God. Save me. Save me. Save me. You know, eventually, they gave her away because they didn't have the time, they didn't have the energy, they didn't have the patience for that level of nonsense, okay? They did not have it. They gave this sheep away. Now, let me ask you this. Can you even fathom dying for such a ridiculously dumb and stubborn animal? Could you fathom that? We are talking the love of God that is so Next level, it is ludicrous. But that is his love for you. 
relentless, regardless of how broken you are, how sinful you are, how senseless we are, regardless of what we say or do or who we are, he comes for us again and again and again and again because he loves us. Romans 5, 6 starts, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, saving us from sin is an incredible thing. Jesus died to stop death. And yet, he is beyond survival salvation. He is more than surviving. He is thriving Since therefore we have now been justified by the blood of Christ, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's not just not dying. It is living. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we pray, we gather, we worship here this morning throughout our weeks, not because it's a habit, not just to ward off death, not so we just don't die. There's more to it than that. This, what we are doing now, this word of God, this engagement and singing his praise. This is life. This is life giving, confessing our sins, forgiving each other's sins. This is community with Christ and his family. The love and the grace that we receive from God in Jesus is the very thing we communicate to the world. So if we're just trying to not die, we're running scared. And that's what we give. That's what we have to give, is fear. But if we are living in this grace, that is life to share. We give thanks to God for his gifts, for his life. And that's what we have to give to the world. Um, If we could put a little bit of meat on this now, I'll call um, Miguel forward. Um, And so every week, you know, We've kind of talked about thanks and giving and sharing in in a theoretical uh, way, and and we kind of talk just briefly about what that looks like week to week, what that looks like in an actual day. So, um, so Miguel, I'll ask you: How have you actually received? God's grace in Christ through your relationships? It's been hard. Um, Because I tend to be a little bit, um, not a little bit, I'm I'm pretty critical of myself. And um, so my experience has been that I have a lot of grace um, to extend to other people, but I don't extend that grace to myself. So my relationship with Jesus has been um, interesting for the past several years because um, different types of relationships that I'm involved in, work relationships, church, family, um, 
people see or see so much power or something like that in me that um, I did I never have seen in myself. So it's been um, it's been fun um, learning who I am in the power of Christ um, as a reflection of God and. So yeah, relationships, I, I, you know, I always tell people, I, I feel like I got a huge, it's a blessing to be able to extend grace to other people, to be forgiving. And, um, oh, I guess the other thing about that is that there's a lot of days when I just don't want to be that person. Yeah. Um, in relationships, I, I want to be angry. I want to hold grudges. Um, I want to be mean to people and... It just doesn't happen, even so, when I try. <laughs> that's that's actually a perfect uh, lead-in then to the next my next question, which would be: so how how do you communicate grace to others in those relationships? Yeah. Um. Again, it comes. It really does come natural for me um, to just see good in other people. Um, and to, uh, I can just easily identify um, what am I trying to say here? I, I'm, I easily identify opportunities to encourage and empower people. Um, and so I have just found that to be useful in relationships, first of all, mm -hmm. um, maybe that's selfish, but no. but I find it I find it useful to find an opportunity to empower people because um, it makes me feel good. Um, but it also, you know, it's good when you start to see change in people, um, or you know, when you can just offer that to someone if they have not heard, or if nobody had taken the time to to be gracious towards them or to say, um, so unfortunately, um, people call it playing devil's advocate a lot, right? If I, because I'm the person that always can see something good. Um, and people are like, well, Miguel, why you always see something good in somebody? I mean, really that sounds ridiculous when, <laughs> when, when, when I hear it, but I don't think other people hear themselves sounding ridiculous when they say that. So it, a lot of times it comes across that way. Um, I see good, I, I uplift people, and when people are like down or feeling like they've done something wrong or they're, they don't cut it in some way, I just, just am able to naturally turn the situation and be like, wow, that's amazing that you can do that. Yeah. And, um, and so yeah, that's my, that's my tangible way. And to, to come back to that point, I, I don't think it's selfish to to feel good about making other people feel good. I, you know, I mean, this is the system that God kind of built into his world, right? He tells his people, empower, lift up, encourage. Like, I think it would be natural that he would make that feel good, you know, when mm -hmm. we're aligned to him. Um, is there like a specific time... Uh, or a specific relationship that you can think of where you felt poured into or where you felt like the grace of God is just being given to you by this person that's kind of like influenced the way you share with other people? 
Or maybe it's like a bunch of individual well, times. I don't know. I would say, um, and I don't want to, I'm going to get emotional. Sorry. <laughs> I would say that um, my children have really helped me um, to recognize and to see just the glory of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the, the power to be and to do um, both in themselves and the way they reflect that back onto me. So um, somehow I got these little three amazing people over here that um, people are always like, well, Miguel, they're good kids because, because you're a good mom. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. They are reflections of God in pieces of me um, that really helped me um, to start to appreciate myself. Mm. I don't know. Am I going on a tangent? Am I no, answering the no. question? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they love me unconditionally and they empower me. Yeah. So they say things to me that, I don't know, for some reason when, when I hear it from other people, it doesn't really mean much. I'm like, you mm. guys, you know, you're just <laughs> saying stuff. Because they know but you when I, Yeah, when I hear it from them, I'm like, you really mean that? Like, yeah. I get that. And so it has really been a blessing to have my kids. Um, that relationship is really, really important to me. And it keeps me... Um, keeps me from wanting to just give up on life and quit and, you know, through the suffering periods. Mm -hmm. And even when I made bad choices, um, I'm just like, you know, I just want to give up on life. But then yeah. here they come with something either being amazing or saying something amazing to me. And I'm like, God, thank you for these people. Cool. Cool. Thank you. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And thank you all for, you know, being a system for your mom. So, um, speaking of tangible grace, uh, we're going to enter into a time of kind of meditation. We're going to make that real in a, in a second. Um, but we, we confess our sins to God. Um, I encourage you as we kind of think about these ways that we break our relationship, that we, that we sin against him, um, that we make it tangible. Think of exact times, not like, well, sometimes I, or I usually, or, you know, we might, you know, no, like, think you personally, you personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are times when that relationship is stretched thin. There are times when it's fulfilled. Um, so you can use the 10 commandments as kind of like a starting point to kind of guide that meditation. These are God's commands that he has for his people, the standards that he would have us live by. And we don't measure up. We, we, we never do, but he welcomes us to confess our sins. He welcomes us to rely on his grace. So would you take a moment to think about those um, things where you're sitting? Heavenly Father, our sin and brokenness and need for you is not theoretical. It's not abstract. It is real life. It's wrapped up in who we are. It is exercised in ways that we fail and fall short, ways that we don't rely on you when we should, things that we do and shouldn't. 
So Father, may this confession be an actual cry of our heart. May it be more than just an exercise in remembering things we did wrong or an obligation. May we cry out our need for you. Your Holy Spirit hears us and responds in ways that are deeper than what we imagine or realize. But Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know our need for you better than we know it ourselves. So come, meet us now. Give us your grace tangibly through the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.